0: Pray with me which if you would, as we get into the Word. Lord God, you are amazing and awesome, and we love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for being risen from the dead. You are our awesome God. We give our hearts to you. Now, Lord God, please use me. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one of the things that you may not know is that when a, a pastor is getting ready, or the EPC, when you think you're going to be called by God to become a pastor. You have to go through all kinds of examinations. You get, you get done with your undergrad, you go to seminary, you get that done, and we're not done with you yet. Anyone who's gone to Presbyterian knows that we do floor exams. Before you ever get to the floor exam, you have to go through written exams, and then you have to go through oral exams. It's quite a process. Those who have gone to Presbyterian say they like seeing all that goes on. So I'll give you a, a couple of the questions we ask uh, for those exams. One, when you get to the biblical content. Uh, where is the first promise of the gospel? Where is the first promise of the gospel? Genesis 3:15 when God says to the serpent about the coming Messiah he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel right at the beginning of time. Another question we ask is how would you preach the gospel from the book of Leviticus? <laughs> how would you preach the gospel from the book of Leviticus? I think for a lot of Christians, Leviticus is that book that you get to and you kind of jump over it really quick, continue reading. The answer for me is the Day of Atonement is inside the book of Leviticus. And you go right to the Day of Atonement. What is God up to? Why does he want atonement? Why why must sin be paid for? Why must it be removed? What's going on? Next, we ask, what are the Messianic Psalms? One of the classics is Psalm 22. Yes, a a candidate would have to stand there and they would have to say, here are the Messianic Psalms, or at least give a list and refer to some and explain what they are. They are Psalms that prophesy the coming of the Messiah. Going back hundreds of years before Jesus was on the planet. So like Psalm 22, uh, they pierced my hands and my feet. They've they've cast lots for my clothing. And you go read the Gospels, you know that's what happened to the Messiah. Then we have things like, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment in Scripture? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what is the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself or love others as you love yourself. Consider them just as important to you as you are. That's tough. Now here's one. Try this one. This one we, th- we think makes them actually squirm a little bit. The book of James does not mention anything about Jesus' atoning death and resurrection. In what sense can you say that James teaches the gospel? So you have a book that doesn't mention his atoning sacrifice or his resurrection. How are you going to preach the gospel from it? Well, James 1.1 1, 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. You can't be a servant of someone who is dead. So James is saying that Jesus is alive. And if someone should know that, the writer of, this, of the book of James is Jesus' brother. He wasn't one of the original 12, but he'll become an apostle and consider the apostles of Jerusalem, and have other appellations put to him. So James is saying that his brother Jesus is alive. Remember that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Only he's the only one that was incarnated and conceived by the Holy Spirit. I I always wonder what is it like to grow up with Jesus being your brother? (laughs) If you could only be more like Jesus. I can't be more like Jesus. Mom, I blow it every day, you know? I I wonder at what point in time the brothers went, can you just stop it, Mom? I mean, let's just drop that one, okay? Let's not use Jesus. But he is our example. So when we say that Jesus is alive here, he refers to himself, James, a servant of God, talking about God Almighty, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord there is curios. here it is the divine title, meaning Yahweh, which... From that we would go, wait a minute, then you're talking about that God is one God eternally existing in three persons because you're acknowledging that Jesus is one with God when you call him the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ is the anointed and promised one, the Messiah, the one who would come to bring deliverance. That's what, when James uses that title, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's all built into the meaning of it. It's fabulous what God is up to. So Peter will also use this title, 1 Peter, and this is our scripture for today, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter wrote, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The verse goes on a little bit, but I just want to focus right here on this this portion So Peter, just like James, is going to say, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just a a statement of faith for Peter. Peter knows that Jesus is alive. Go back and read the Gospels. Remember, Jesus is crucified. Three days, he is dead. Three days, as we say in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. Three days, he is gone, but... He's going to come back, and when's the first time that Peter actually spends time with, I mean, some good, serious time recognizing him? John chapter 21, verses 4 through 7. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. This isn't the first time that Peter's going to see Jesus, but he gets excited because Jesus is on the shore and they don't recognize him. Understand, they've been fishing all night. How would, you, how would you like to, in your line of work, have somebody that you don't know, don't recognize, stand on the shore or near your work table and say, oh, you've been blowing it all night? Try the other side. <laughs> yeah, great. All right, sure, why not? Throw it in. Large number of fish. John knows what's going on, right? <laughs> that's, that's Jesus. What does Peter do? He runs to him. This is the resurrected Jesus, the same one that they, they saw earlier up in the upper room. Peter is excited. He has seen Jesus raised from the dead. He has seen the resurrected Jesus. Paul will go through a similar thing. Paul had a Damascus Road experience with Jesus. Go back and read the book of Acts. It's repeated a couple of times. Remember, he's out persecuting the church. Doesn't like the church. Would like to see Christians arrested, Christians killed. Remember, he's the one who will stand and they'll put cloaks at his feet. He'll hold the cloaks. He's running the meeting when they stone the deacon Stephen to death. For all you deacons in this church, isn't that exciting? (laughs) One of the most amazing deacons gets stoned to death for his faith. Paul, while he's traveling the Damascus Road, will have a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to see him because he's going to say, why are you persecuting? Paul will have a change of heart. Also, he'll go blind for a while. That kind of helps. In case you were wondering, was that a real event? And he he goes blind, and if you remember, he winds up at Ananias' house, actually at another house, and Ananias is sent by God to go pray for Paul, and he's like, really? You know what the guy's been doing? Doesn't matter, go pray for him. And he'll go pray for him, and shales will fall from his eyes, and he'll regain his sight. Paul will write in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the absolute basic formula of salvation. If you, like he says, if you will declare with your mouth, it's not Jesus, you can be Lord if you want to. This goes back to that Lord Jesus Christ. If you will declare Jesus is Lord, if you will declare he is my master and he is Yahweh, he is, I am who I am. He is the great God. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Think about that. He goes from persecuting the church to writing a statement like this about how to get saved. John, John will see the glorified Jesus. Jesus. Not only does John see Jesus raised from the dead and walk with him on the earth, you know, Jesus' last 40 days on the planet, but John will wind up on Patmos, and in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, he's going to write down an experience he has, a visionary experience from God. And he writes, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the shining sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. I'd just like to have that experience with Jesus. See him as he is right now. You do know that if Jesus were to appear in the room, he doesn't show up in just a nice robe, kind of like you see in movies. This is what he shows up like. His skin like, like bronze in a furnace. Eyes like fire. His face is like the sun. He is the glorified Jesus Christ. He is risen from the dead. He's been glorified by the living God. One with the Father, and one with the Spirit. This is why the apostles testified to Jesus. They saw him, they spent time with him after his crucifixion, after he's resurrected from the dead. Some of you, this may not be much of a reference for for any but the older, do you remember Chuck Colson? He got arrested for Watergate. All right, so there's an age limit with this one. But he gets arrested for Watergate under the Nixon administration. And while he was going through the things, you know, he accepted Christ while he was being, going through the trials and everything. I read one of his statements. He said, you know what really got me is there were 11 of us, and we couldn't keep a secret. Somebody let it out, what we had done, and we got arrested. He said, I was impressed with the Apostles. Because they didn't get to stay together in a group. God sent them all over the place. Peter and Peter will wind up in Rome. Thomas will go to India. He'll get run through with a sword. Peter will be hung upside down because he doesn't feel worthy to hang the same way Jesus hung on a cross. Andrew on an X cross. There will be beheadings. And he said, you know what? Not one of them cracked and went, hey, whoa, don't kill me. We're is in this for money and fame. said, no, they, they held together. But they were apart. They kept following Jesus because they had seen him risen from the dead. So Peter's going to give this to us. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 the second half. Peter writes, in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter taught the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But in order to get the resurrection, we have to go through something called the Romans Road. I don't know if you in evangelism. For those of you who do evangelism, have you ever shared the Romans Road? I love Romans Road. It just simply states what went on with God, what He had to do with Jesus, and why all these events. Romans three three twenty three. All of sin and falls short of the glory of God. Remember that sin. My basic definition of sin is anytime God says to do something, you don't do it, or God says don't do something. And you go ahead and do it, that's sin. You break his law. You you break his ways. And you incur debt with God when you do that. So that sin must be paid for because Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Something must die. That's that reference I gave to you in Leviticus about the day of atonement. Atonement is to have your sins removed. It's to have God's wrath removed from your life have peace with the living God. But to get there, God doesn't get to just say, ah, forget what you did. I forgot it already. No. Something has to pay for the sin. Something has to pay. So in Romans 5, 8, it says that God demonstrated his love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's the one who will pay it. And then you get Paul's statement in Romans ten nine, that if you confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth, has to come out of your mouth, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Father God, you shall be saved. So that's the Romans' road. So in order to get to the resurrection, you have to go through, one, recognizing our own sin. How, how many times have we broken God's law? I mean, how many times did I break God's law this last week? <laughs> Knowingly, I know, I Just it's what we do. We, uh, we're co- corrupted by sin. It's in our system. And God forgives us. Why would God forgive us? Because blood was spilled. On the Day of Atonement, blood must be spilled. On the cross, blood must be spilled because the wages of sin is death. So you have to go down this Romans road. Not that you have to go back and read the Romans road. Just along the lines of what Paul is giving us here. To recognize after his crucifixion that he's raised from the dead, that he's alive. So, what does resurrection do for us? In this passage, it says that we're given a new birth into a living hope. What is this living hope? As Jesus was raised from the dead, so will we be raised from the dead and live forever with him. Think about that. You're in Christ, you die, your soul leaves. You go in the presence of God. You won't even remember much about this planet. I mean, many times when people are on their deathbed, they don't remember much anyway. I, I've been to a few deathbeds. You know what, when, when i visited people on their deathbeds, they don't care about their house anymore, or their 401k, or who the president is. They usually get down to the brass tax issues, the times I've been with people, when they're on their deathbed, there, there's something that's on their mind. They could, they could care less about the rest of the world. What they really want to know at that point in time is, what happens to me when I leave here? What's next? So Peter will write, that you get a new birth into a living home. In other words, when we die, Death is not our end, it is a new beginning. Eternal life with God in heaven. So you have to ask the question, is resurrection real? Is it real? Did Jesus, was Jesus really raised from the dead? Is this real stuff, or are we just talking biblical verses? Is resurrection power real? So, Julie, if you could, if you could put the picture, hopefully it there we go. See this, see this family? In 1988, in the summer of 1988, I got to go stay with them. They were back in communist Czechoslovakia. In front, this woman right here, she's a doctor. And so we got done doing ministry with Ysvan with Boyder, I've mentioned before, the head of the underground reformed church. And she said, do you want to come stay with my family and see Czechoslovakia? Now it's, uh, well, it's Slovakia dropped the, Czechos, uh, the Czech Republic. So I went and stayed with her family, and then she said, I'll take you and show you the, the city near my town, and we'll have a really good time. My parents would love to meet you. She was just this wonderful woman in Christ who was just a total blessing. And so I'm with her, and you know, she's the one straight up front, not the one in the back, but this one in the, with the white coat. And so as we're on our way to go to the city, she's, she's also pointing out all the little kids along the road. She's, going, and she's naming them as we go, and they're waving to her. The reason why is her specialty is she is an OBGYN and a pediatrician. So she has birthed all of the children where she lives. She's their doctor. So we're walking along, and she's like, and I, I can't even remember the names. I can't even get started on this one. I don't know Magyar names and Czechoslovakian names. And, but she points to one, and she goes, and that's my miracle boy right over there. I go, your miracle boy? She goes, yes, that's my miracle boy. I said, how is that your miracle boy? She said, because he was a stillborn. She said, we were in the delivery room and his, you know, his mom is before me and his, his dad is right there. And as we're delivering the baby, the baby comes out and I know immediately this baby is not born alive. He's cold and I take him in my arms and she said, and I began to weep, because I realized, I, I so wanted this baby to, for them. This is their first child. And she said, they begin to cry when I tell them, I'm sorry, your baby is not alive. He's dead. And they began to cry, she said, and she said, do you mind if I pray with them? And they said, no problem. So she keeps them in her arms, and she said, she walked away from them, and for the next 10 to 15 minutes, she's saying, oh, dear God, oh, dear God, have mercy. God, please, please put life inside this baby. Lord God Almighty, please, please move. And she said, after about 15 minutes of just praying like this and paring her heart out for the living God, she feels warmth enter into the baby's body. Suddenly, his eyes open. He begins to cry. So she looked at me and said, "That's why that's my miracle boy. God breathed life into a." A stillborn baby. And she said, and he's fine. He's fine. Mentally, physically, he's fine. You see, God is the God of resurrection power. We follow the God who gives life. The living God who speaks life. He's an amazing one one of my favorite things with him is that the greatest commandment that God ever gave again, I've probably preached this to you before I love that the number one commandment from God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and all your strength love him, I, I love it think of all the things he could have given as a first command tie 80% to me Do some miracle that just astounds everybody. Grovel on your knees for a thousand miles. And number one law of God, the number one law that God gives us is love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You want to know why? Because he loves you. And he wants you to love him back. So Jesus' resurrection sets him apart from everything else and everyone else. In John chapter 11, verse 25, just before he raises Lazarus from the dead, Jesus says to Lazarus' sister, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, or she, though they may die, they shall live. See, he's not just saying I have power of resurrection. He's saying I am the resurrection. Jesus is is the resurrection. That's why you have to have a relationship with him. He is one with the Father and Spirit, but he is the resurrection. He also said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way to life. My brothers and my sisters, This actually is one of the most fun Sundays on the planet. You get to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have been birthed into a new living hope. Do you have his hope? Do you have this hope of an everlasting life with God? Do you have this? Has he written it on your heart? Or is he calling you into it? Is he saying, come, receive my life? God wants to pour love all over you. If you've never found that out about him, know this. He loves to love you. He absolutely loves to love you. Do you know that when you just sing a simple song to him, it just moves his heart? Song of Solomon says that one look of your eyes ravishes his heart. All you have to do is while you're sitting here, just say, God, I love you. I love you, God. That's like the greatest act of worship you can give him. So my brothers and sisters, I'm going to pray a prayer because if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ and you feel like today God's putting it on your heart to draw close to him, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Starting a relationship with him is is that. It's just starting a relationship. It's beginning to talk to him and to receive what he has for you. So if you want to recommit your heart to Jesus Christ today or if you've never given yourself to him, just pray this simple prayer and say, Father God, I love you. I know I've blown it. I've broken your word, I've broken your law. I admit that I have sinned and I'm a sinner. I believe, Lord Jesus Christ, the wages of of my sin is death and that you died on the cross for my sins. You paid for it. Your blood was spilled. I accept that in my place. And I believe that God has raised you from the dead and you are Jesus. You are Lord. I give my life to you. If the Spirit of God is moving on your heart, you can even feel maybe this tug of the Spirit of God drawing you in. You don't have to pray that right now. You can pray it this afternoon. You can pray it tomorrow, next week. But give your heart to Him. Don't hold back because He loves you. God demonstrated His love to you in this that while we were yet sinners, Jesus, his son, died for us. And then God gave us hope by raising his son from the dead. Lord Jesus Christ, you are alive, and we follow you, the risen one. You, Lord God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.